So you see in the research, just like you said, that actually it makes people less healthy because they don't spend their time exercising. They eat fast food because it's fast, not because it's healthy. You see that people delay going to the doctor. It makes people less confident in being able to achieve what they set out to do. And as you said, it makes people less nice because when you feel like you're in a rush, you're less likely to slow down and help others out. And it makes us less happy. We feel higher levels of stress, lower levels of emotional and subjective well-being. And so it's not a delusion that this feeling is having these negative effects, but also there's so much power in recognizing that it's a feeling. You're listening to Cassie Holmes, award-winning teacher and researcher on time and happiness and best-selling author of Happier Hour, How to Beat Distraction, Expand Your Time, and Focus on What Matters Most. Hello, everyone. I'm Celeste Headley. Welcome to Women Amplified from the Conferences for Women. In this episode, we speak with UCLA professor Cassie Holmes about her revolutionary happier hour approach. It focuses on not just how we spend our time, but whether we're truly making the most of it. We'll explore ways to redefine our relationship with time, sidestep distractions, find more satisfaction in every moment, and design a life with greater purpose. Let's dive in. It's a brand new day. Gotta take it on my begin with this idea of being busy. Do you think busyness, that concept has changed over time? I don't think the concept has changed, but I do think that the prevalence of it and the extent to which we feel busy has increased. We conducted a national poll that showed that nearly half of Americans feel time poor. And time poor is this acute feeling of having too much to do and not enough time to do it, which is exactly like feeling overly busy. And what's interesting is that it's prevalent. And even though it has really negative effects on how we experience our days and our happiness in our lives, and we can talk more about that, what's interesting is that busyness is also associated almost as a status symbol, that if I'm busy, then I'm needed and I'm in high demand, despite the negative effects on how we feel. How do we separate out the status that we're afforded when we're busy, or at least appear to be busy, from the actual tangible benefits we get from appearing busy? And by that, I mean managers actually reward us for appearing busy. Even if we're sitting at our desk and shopping for boots on Zappos, managers do tend to reward people who stay at the office longer. They do tend to reward people who answer emails at 9 p.m. on a Saturday. So how do we separate those out? Yeah, and it's interesting because they do tend to reward it because it suggests that you're fully committed and engaged and doing the work. The problem is that the long-term consequences of always being on and constantly being busy, particularly when guided by others, including your boss, have really negative effects. 
that's where we're seeing burnout rates as high as they are. And interestingly, the pandemic has sort of shifted our expectations of ourselves, of what we're willing to do. The pandemic taught us just how fragile and precious our time is, right? Because the hours of our days, how we spend them, sum up to the years of our lives. And the pandemic taught us that life is finite, right? And those hours are actually really precious. And so it's come to folks to realize that, oh my gosh, just because my time is being demanded by other people, maybe I'm not willing to spend that time. And if you're constantly feeling busy, spending on ways that don't feel fulfilling, and it's just that your schedule is full, then you see these increased feelings of dissatisfaction, lower feelings of happiness. You also see anxiety rates having skyrocketed. And so from a manager's perspective, yes, it might seem great that that employee is staying late and available to you when you ask. But if you want that employee to continue to be your employee in months on, then you actually need to protect and encourage them to protect time for the things that matter and actually to turn off and log off so that they can also address their other priorities and values that are outside of the workplace. You know, what fascinates me, Cassie, is the difference between our perception and reality on many of these things. Because there is a difference between busyness and actual productivity, the sense of being productive and what we actually produce, right? We can feel very, very busy without actually getting a lot done. And I've been intrigued by all of the research that shows that the most productive people don't overwork. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why is that? Yeah. And it's actually, I love that you framed that question that way, because in my work, so what I do is I study how do we invest our time for greater satisfaction and fulfillment. And a sense of productivity is one input into people's sense of satisfaction. But what I have proposed and found in my work and describe in my book, Happier Hour, is basically trying to think about productivity, not in terms of checking tasks off of your to-do list and trying to do as much as possible, as quickly as possible, because oftentimes that's what people think that time management is all about. How do you get as much done as efficiently as possible? But what I suggest is that we really need to reconsider the goal here and instead think about time management as spending time on those things that are worthwhile and looking at the outcome of what you're spending your time on and not just the inputs of how many hours you spend. Because what I find in my work is that the solution and the answer for emotional well-being, satisfaction, feelings of fulfillment, and time aren't about how many hours you spend. It's really not about quantity, not just in terms of the amount of time you invest, but also it's not even just with respect to the amount of time you feel like you have available to you in the days. It's really the quality of that time. So when you're investing in those 
activities that matter to you that are really sort of driving you forward that you know in the work context it's those tasks that are really in line with and contribute directly to your goals to the purpose that you have as opposed to what we so often do is just sort of react and we respond to whatever is put on our plate that is seemingly urgent irrespective of its importance and so what I encourage folks to do is actually think about what's important. <laughs> what is the purpose? What are those higher order goals? So that you're investing in those. And sometimes the important stuff is not <laughs> actually sitting in front of your computer and getting things, sort of checking things off your to-do list, responding to emails. That's really hard though, Cassie, because those give us those little shots of dopamine that makes us feel good in the moment. Like, you know, if I'm working on a project and it requires deep focus, right? It requires real thinking and problem solving and I need to be uninterrupted and to really become creative. Something that in some workplaces is well nigh impossible, right? Because that's not our, the way our workplaces are set up. Most of them are not set up to give me deep focus. It can feel good to then get distracted by, oh, let me send off this quick email to this person and this quick email to this person. And each time I check a box, it gives me this really quick shot of dopamine that makes me feel good and makes me feel like I've produced something, even though I haven't. And then I remember that we're nearly out of copy paper, so I'm going to order copy paper. And then that reminds me that, oh, maybe I should also stock up on ink, and I do that. And then I'm like, oh, let me also invite so-and-so to lunch, and I'll do that. And then I'll go down this whole list of tasks, and by the end of a couple hours, I've accomplished nothing substantial, but I feel like I have. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I've been super productive, and yet I've been... Attempting to multitask, not actually multitasking, and exhausted. And I get to the end of the day of having accomplished nearly nothing. I don't feel fulfilled <laughs> because I haven't been yeah. creative and I haven't gone toward my purpose, which is what you've been talking about. But I've checked things off a list. I mean, it's so difficult. It's so hard. Well, yeah, it's so easy to do what you just said, right? Because I refer to that as productive procrastination, yes. that we almost procrastinate from the stuff, the deep thinking work, the really important work by checking things off of our list. And we, we can sort of make ourselves feel better because I'm like, oh, we're being productive if we're checking things off the list. But at the end of the day, at the end of the week, you are not fulfilled. Yes, your schedule was full doing things, but you're not fulfilled. And let me share with you an analogy that I think is so helpful and I continue to find very helpful in my own time spending decisions. And it just highlights the importance of prioritizing the stuff that matters. And in this an analogy, imagine a large clear jar and then into the jar, I put golf balls. And then I ask you, is the jar full? And they reach the very top. So you're like, yes, it looks full. But nope. And then I pour in pebbles and the pebbles fill those spaces between the golf balls up to the top. And I ask you, is it full? And it looks full. So you're like, yes, <laughs> but nope. And then I pour in sand and the sand fills all the spaces between the golf balls, between the pebbles up to the top. And I ask you again, is the jar full? And you're like, yes. <laughs> and 
I want to explain, and actually, I would add one more step, and then I would open. (laughs) Well, for me, it's a bottle of beer. So I would open a bottle of beer, pour it in. I will open also one for you. And I'll take a sip, and I will explain to you that this jar represents the time that you have available, the time of your life. Those golf balls are the things that really matter to you your relationships with the people you love, your friends and family, that work, that purposeful work that is so fulfilling and in line with your goals and values. The pebbles are other important things like your job, your house. The sand is everything else. The sand is all of that stuff that fills your time without you even thinking about it. And what's really important to note is that had I poured the sand into the jar first, all of the golf balls would not have fit. That is, if we let our time get filled with stuff, like you said, you know, like responding to email, ordering those shoes for your kids, it absolutely will get filled, but not with the stuff that matters. And so what's so important is to identify what are your golf balls? What are those things that really matter to you so that you put them into your time jar first? So you put them into your schedule protect time for it, for that really deep thinking, creative, important work, literally block it off in your calendar, log out of email, put your phone on do not disturb, move those papers on your desk that are so easy to like sort of distract you, right? From getting the real task at hand done. And then like, you'll spend your time on those things that matter. And then of course, Sand will fill all the other time, but at least this way, at the end of your day, at the end of your week, you will feel fulfilled because you've invested in what matters, even though you've also been busy. And yes, there will be those tasks that fill in around it, but at least this way, you spent time and made progress on what's really important. And then you might be like, well, Cassie, what's the deal with the beer? And I'm like, so glad you asked because the beer goes to show that no matter how busy you feel, right? No matter how frantic and full your time jar seems, you always have time for a drink with a friend. So there are those little things that do sneak in and we must make the time for. You're listening to a conversation with Cassie Holmes, researcher and best-selling author of Happier Hour, How to Beat Distraction, Expand Your Time, and Focus on What Matters Most. If you live outside our four conference states, or maybe you weren't able to register for an in-person Conference for Women event this year, well, we have some news for you. Introducing the first ever National Conference for Women, It's a groundbreaking virtual gathering that takes place this Women's History Month. The 100% online National Conference for Women will bring together attendees from all across the country for a full day of inspiration, career-building resources, networking opportunities, and so much more. So go to conferencesforwomen.org to learn more. And while you're there, check out our iconic speaker lineup, including author Margaret Atwood, actress Michelle Yeoh, and Vanity Fair editor-in-chief Radhika Jones. Registration is now open and early bird pricing is in effect through November 11th. Learn more at conferencesforwomen.org. Okay, now 
let's get back to the conversation. There's this very, very old, now obsolete word, spuddle, that dates back to like the 17th century, which used to refer to a tool that was used to like dig up weeds, but came to mean like to work really hard and achieve absolutely nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And it always reminded me of Parkinson's law, which I'm sure you know from the 1950s, which Parkinson's law is that work will expand to fill the period of time available for its completion. And that's what always reminds me when people say that they don't have time, that they're overworked as it is. When I'm telling people, yeah, you do, you have time to take breaks. Because I always advise people, take a break every hour, take 10 minutes and walk away from your screens. (laughs) Get away from your screens. And they're like, I do not have time. I am wall to wall all day long. And I'm like, that is incorrect. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) That is incorrect. You do have time. Yeah. And so I now want to get to sort of the practical, because you and I both know the evidence. We know that this idea that people do not have time to get up and take a break, we know that's not true. Mm -hmm. But to many people, that feels true. Yeah. So what do they do? How do we... Get them to take the red pill, first of all, Mm -hmm. and realize the truth. How do we break them out of that delusion? And then how do we form those new neural pathways? How do we form new habits? Yeah. And honestly, the first step is very in line with the reason I shared that time jar analogy is because you have to first identify what are those things that actually matter? And so you are in line with what matters to you, what truly matters to you for the work that you do and put those into your schedule. And yes, it might be that breaks are important for your rest and your thinking, but really it's about spending time on those things that are absolutely worthwhile And so being very clear in that, and I describe this whole process of time crafting, where you look at your week and you put those golf balls into your schedule first, and then there's a whole other list of strategies to make the most of it. But also something that an activity or an exercise that I encourage folks to do to really get an audit of how they're spending your time, as well as an opportunity to identify what are those activities that are really satisfying and it's time tracking. So over the course of a week, write down for each half hour what you're doing and as importantly, how do you feel? So rate on a 10-point scale as you're coming out of that activity, rate how you feel. And while it is tedious to actually track your time over the course of a week, it's so important because at the end of the week, you have this fantastic personalized data set that you can look at for yourself it highlights how you're spending your time. So for those folks who, you know, respond like, oh, I don't have time. Well, you actually, a lot of folks recognize, oh my gosh, I had no idea I was spending this much time on X. And X is actually not all that important. And so this is an opportunity to reallocate those sandy hours towards the things that matter and recognize that you do have the space And it's absolutely up to you to determine 
where you spend your time. Again, it's not, it, this is shifting away from being reactive and being proactive, but also from your time tracking data, you can see for yourself, what are those activities that actually are the most satisfying? And you can see what are those activities that are the most energy depleting and unhappy. And it's interesting because sometimes these aren't what we anticipate, right? When I have my students do this and readers do this, you see that oftentimes one student said, he's like, it's so interesting because an activity that I really look forward to watching TV, when he looked at how he felt after watching TV, actually, he didn't feel that great. It wasn't as fun as he thought. And then there are these activities, one that he dreaded, which was exercise. That then he looked at how he felt coming out of going on a run that morning. He's like, I felt amazing. And exercise is actually one of those things that when people feel time poor, they are very quick to neglect. But because time poverty is that feeling of not being able to achieve what you set out to do with the time you have, if you actually spend time on ways that increase your sense of confidence, self-efficacy, are energizing in themselves, then it actually makes you feel like you have more time. And so to the answer to folks who are like, I don't have time to spend the exercise. I don't have time to spend for that deep thinking work. You do, you just have to be really sort of diligent and put it into your calendar, schedule in there, block that time out. And then you'll see the effects, not only of your sense of fulfillment at the end of the week, but you'll recognize that you do have time for the stuff that matters to you. So when I went through this process of a time audit Mm -hmm. and actually started tracking my time, where did all my time go? Because I had this sort of epiphany one day when I came home and was too exhausted to cook dinner for myself. And I enjoy cooking. So I was like, mm-hmm. you know, this makes no sense. And I started looking around my house and noticing all the things that I have that save me time over like my grandmother. You know, all those things <laughs> like microwaves yeah. and dishwashers. And I'm like, wait a second. If all these things are supposed to save me time, where's all the time going? <laughs> right. Where is yeah. it, right? And so yeah. I spent like over a month like really carefully auditing my time, like a half an hour at a time I would write down. Mm -hmm. And I realized I had way more time than I thought, okay? Mm -hmm. But here's the thing, Cassie, and I don't need to tell you this, you know this already. Realizing that you, I mean, feeling that sense of time poverty, even if it's not true, even if I have way more time than I realizing, Believing that you don't have enough time has all these negative impacts. Mm -hmm. Like it kind of makes me a worse person. Like if I think I don't have time for stuff, I'm less compassionate. I'm less generous. Like it has negative impacts on my cardiovascular system. It has negative impacts on my sleep cycle. Like just believing that untrue thing is bad. Like just being in that delusion. Yeah, but I don't think it's a delusion, but it is very true that this experience, this subjective sense of having too little time, the subjective sense of being time poor does have 
these negative effects. And so you see in the research, just like you said, that actually it makes people less healthy because they don't spend the time exercising. They eat fast food because it's fast, not because it's healthy. You see that people delay going to the doctor. It makes people less confident in being able to achieve what they set out to do. And as you said, it makes people less nice because when you feel like you're in a rush, you're less likely to slow down and help others out. And it makes us less happy. We feel higher levels of stress, lower levels of emotional and subjective well-being. And so it's not a delusion that this feeling is having these negative effects, but also there's so much power in recognizing that it's a feeling, that there's this subjective sense and what are the inputs into it, right? It's like the sense of all that we should be or could be accomplishing. But instead of letting others dictate your to-do list or even sort of society and even maybe even seeing those technological advances in your kitchen, like, oh my gosh, I should be able to get more done quickly because I have this microwave available to me. You know, you have your cell phone in front of you and you're like, I could be doing anything right now because (laughs) you're watching all other people's happy existences on social media. You know that you can get your tasks done immediately on your phone, like ordering groceries. And so just because there is an endless number of things you could and erroneously put in your mind should be doing at every moment. That's not true, right? So we need to be more proactive in figuring out what is our list of things that are important to us, not this sort of nebulous, endless to-do list, but really what matters to you. And with the time tracking, not just writing down how you spend the time, but how spending on those activities makes you feel, helps you identify like, holy cow, it's so important to me that I have, you know, a date with my husband once a week. It's so important to me that my daughter and I have our coffee date on the weekend morning. It's so important to me that I do carve out Monday mornings from nine to noon to do that deep thinking work where my office door is closed. No one can interrupt me. I'm off email, so I'm not responding to others. And so we have the control over what makes our to-do list, right? Okay, so let me jump in here. Let's say I've done that work. Let's say I have done my time audit. I know now where my time is going. I have created my priorities list. Like I know what matters to me and I've created sort of my ideal schedule. Here's my, my priorities list of the things I really want to make sure I do each week, right? I'd say even a step farther that, just not put it on the list, but put it into your calendar. Okay. Locking out the hours in the week that you're going to spend on those three super important things. Okay, great. Now I've done that. But I'm Mm -hmm. also fighting a current here because Mm -hmm. tech companies and software companies are literally fighting me on this. They have created devices and software that are now really good at making me forget the passage of time. Like the CEO of Netflix at one point said, their competition is sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Like they have literally designed their software 
to make us continually get these shots of dopamine that make us continue to refresh those feeds. They are working with our brain chemistry to make us continue to doom scroll and continue to scroll down and down and down and down and down. And to binge watch shows for not one hour at the end of the evening, but for five hours each evening. Exactly. And so we were like, okay, I want to get to sleep. You know what? Maybe one of my priorities is to get more sleep. And so (laughs) I set a bedtime of 10 p.m. every night. And if this sounds like it's real life, then it it is. And yet every (laughs) night I'm like, well, how did it get to be 1030? It's because (laughs) they have that automatic start thing. (laughs) <laughs> and you have yeah. to go through a lot to get it to stop doing that. <laughs> yes. It is not an empirically based strategy, but a very effective one yeah. to combat that, which is because writers are so good at their job because they leave the episode like you have to find out what's going to happen next, right? And then the little button there is next episode. And you're like, yes, because I need to find out. And you don't even have to press that button. It'll start. (laughs) It will start. (laughs) So one thing you can do, which is actually what I do, is to offset the binging. It's not like that first hour is a bad thing, right? Like it's a show that we want to watch. It's that second and third hour that starts having its negative effect. So what I do is I stop watching 15 minutes before the end of the episode when it's still sort of in that lull. And then when I watch the next night, I sort of am starting at that cliffhanger and then it leads right into the next episode so I can see how it plays out. So I sort of try to because... What a great idea. (laughs) Netflix is so smart that this is my way to counter their sort of those writers making it so compelling. Yeah. And how do you do that with your Instagram feed or your all of your other feeds? I'm actually not on social media, particularly because I know the effects on me from my own time tracking that I find that for me, it doesn't give me fulfillment. And it's absorbed so much time that I just want to spend in other ways. Okay. So And we have to end here soon. What have I not asked you? What other tips do you have for people who are finding this so frustrating? To get control, to wrest back control of their lives, especially for people who are not in a position in their work lives to sort of set their own priorities. Yeah. First, I would say that we have more agency and control over our time than we think. But also, the thing we've been talking a lot about in our conversation today has been how we manage the hours of our days and of our week. What we also really need to think about is our time with respect to the years of our life overall. And in my research, I find that actually when people think about time more in terms of years and their life overall, as opposed to hour by hour, you see that they experience greater sense of happiness and meaning And really, it's because they're spending on what's important and not just responding to what seems urgent. Now, in my class, and I describe this exercise in the book, and it might sound sort of dark, but it's not. The impact isn't, is to write your eulogy. And so projecting forward to the end of your life, writing down what do you want to be said about you and the life that you've lived 
And it's actually really clarifying. It's not actually an exercise about death. It is really clarifying about the life that you aspire to live, who you aspire to be. And it really highlights those values. What is important to you? And having that in the forefront of your mind, thinking about your life overall is very effective at informing how we spend our hours today so that we are not moving through our days and rushing through them, distracted on our phones or thinking about what's next. And instead, we are spending our time noticing those sources of joy that are already right there in front of us. And so that at the end of our years, we don't end up looking back with regret. Okay, we're going to end here, although I know that we could continue giving people advice for the rest of the hour. I want to say thank you. Just before we say goodbye, Cassie Holmes, could you tell me how long is it appropriate for me to wait to answer an email that someone else thinks is urgent? I would say that you can carve out the time in your day that you're going to respond to emails, and that's the time that you're going to spend. It is determined by you when you spend your email time, not by others. I love that. Cassie Holmes, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Pardon the pun. Thank you. (laughs) We really hope you enjoyed this episode featuring the Happier Hour bestselling author, Cassie Holmes. The Conferences for Women is the largest network of women's conferences in the nation. They draw more than 55,000 women and men to annual events in Boston, Philadelphia, Austin, and California. I'm Celeste Headley. This is Women Amplified from the Conferences for Women. Thank you so much for listening. Be kind and be well.